On top of all of Sarah's announcements, I just I have uh, one thing to say, and that is we, if you don't know, at Element, last week we talked about this, we're doing a questionnaire, and we're asking everybody to go through it. I said it'd take you about 15 minutes, and apparently I was told that I was a liar, because <laughs> apparently it takes you longer than 15 minutes. You must read everything, because... <laughs> So in this questionnaire, you get to give us some feedback. If you get the U version, it's in there. If you stop by the Welcome Center, uh, you can scan a QR code for that. Sarah can walk you through how to do that. Uh, but I was talking to somebody this week, and they go, you're really brave. And I'm like, why? <laughs> brave or dumb? You know, because, because we ask you some questions about what you think about Element and things that we can grow in. And you guys are very honest. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I, we really do appreciate it. We really do. And there are some things we're actually looking forward to do because of the things that you have said. We are looking at uh, scheduling and bringing in a sound consultant to walk through the room and listen to things and maybe tell a speaker placement and where to do and change things. So that will be a little bit before that happens, but we're looking at doing that. Uh, we are next year, probably every other month, uh, we are going to have after second service. A, a gathering where you can come to and we will tell you and talk to you about different laws that have been passed or are upcoming and how that would affect you as a believer, uh, what that looks like, what maybe the Bible says about certain things in that. Because whereas during messages, uh, when you talk about the scriptures, it does brush up against the political, but we try not to be political so much from the pulpit because we want to talk about Jesus. And sometimes, though, it just happens because when you talk about the truth and the grace of what God's word talks about, you just brush up against against that sometimes. But there are some questions, so we specifically want to address and start to deal with some of that for you so you can have an idea. Like sometimes you'll read a law that's coming out and it's written the exact opposite thing of what it actually does. And it's like, like my wife is like, she's like, did you read this? It's the exact opposite of what it says it does. And so, it, so we want to talk about that. Also on every other month from that, uh, someone has also asked if we would do a thing where maybe the elders would hang out after like second service and if there's them, some theology questions or some things they're going through and they could ask us those questions. So every other month we're going to try and do that once a month after second service. One time it'll be theological questions and another time we'll talk about what's going on in the world uh, from a Christian worldview. So we're going to try and do those things because there's a lot of questions and culture is changing really fast. So if you would continue to fill out those surveys, let us know how terrible we're doing. That'd be wonderful. Or you can say how great we're doing too. Not many of those. But we do appreciate all the honesty that you're doing. So please take the time to fill it out. So, okay, so who's done it so far? We got a lot. Okay, uh, how long would you say it takes? Half an hour. <laughs> Joy, how long it take you? I, I didn't put it together. I just came up with some of the questions. So at the end of the survey, when I ask for anything else, you can say, this survey! <laughs> Welcome to Element if you are new. <laughs> Fill out our questionnaire. Questionnaire. I do not understand this church whatsoever. Sent. Uh, Oh, no, if you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, normally, we have sermon notes on the communion tables around the room, but for the series on prayer, we don't. We have these prayer booklets. It covers 13 weeks of this series, and you'll get short recaps of the sermons. You'll get uh, short little daily devotions where if you've never spent time with God every day, it's a nice way to start to build a habit. One verse, one question, really short, and hopefully that will build so when the series is over, you will continue to have 
time with God every day. There's questions for your friends, your family, if you have children, for kids. All these things are in here. Again, covers 13 weeks. And if, but there's not a place, as I keep saying, to take notes if I'm talking through a message. And so we have these prayer journals as well. They're both free. Uh, in here, it's, it's lined. You can write things down. Like, say I'm talking about something that's not in the prayer journal. You can write it or in the prayer booklet. You can write it in here. We also encourage you to write down your prayers and the things that you are saying. And God is speaking to you over the course of this series. So by the time it's done, you can kind of flip through and look back at all the things that God has said and he is doing in your life. And a lot of times we stand amazed. And there's a lot of pages in there. So you can continue that through the entire coming year. Just writing things down as you pray for him, things that are going on. Then maybe how God comes around and really does a difference because of the things he's doing in our lives. So you can grab that. If you have a smart device, you can download an app called YouVersion. You click on more and then events in YouVersion. Uh, we will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get uh, the sermon notes that are in there. You get the verses we're going through. You get the QR code that goes to the questionnaire to tell us how mediocre we are. Um, <laughs> and why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17, and I'm going to read this to you out of the New, Inter- New International Version. It says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's pray. Thought of this morning, we ask that you would move us to a place where we would understand your goodness and your grace and your love for us in our inner being, and that it would change us because we understand better who you are and what you are doing in our lives and how you then call us to live out our lives in this world around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so as I said, we are doing a series on prayer. Started a few months ago. It's going to end the Sunday after Christmas. This is week 12, and I only have this week and next week with messages that are in the, in the prayer journal, so we're, we're almost there. Uh, in January, we're going to start the book of Galatians. It's a New Testament book. It's all about law and grace and false teachers and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, this is the first time I haven't actually taken and written out a book and outlined it before I taught through it. I just started to write it and teach it, and it's longer than I thought. <laughs> Welcome to Element. Okay. <laughs> So today, we are again talking about prayer, and what we wanted to do in this series is help us to come to a place where we understand what prayer is better, what our focus should be in prayer, so there's not so much anxiety around it. We spent the first eight weeks just diving into these ideas of what prayer is and prayer isn't, and unanswered prayer, and all of that. Now, the last five weeks, we've done three so far, today's the fourth of these, we're looking at prayers of people in the Bible, how they actually prayed to give us a better context. The very first week of this series, this is what we said. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. That God reveals Himself to us. We would not know who He is otherwise. Everybody in our world today has an idea, oh, this must be God. No, God reveals Himself in His Word, and that is grace, so we know who He is. And by knowing who He is, we can step into deeper relationship with Him. And so now we spent, again, those last three weeks walking through and looking at prayers of people in the Old Testament. Today we're going to go to somebody in the New Testament, a guy named Paul. He was an apostle, and he's going to pray for those around him. I think this prayer was also for himself. So I'm going to look at what he says, how he says, the focus of that, and then what we can learn. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 if you brought one. If you have an element Bible, that's page 634. 
And I keep telling you this, most surveys today, not just in America, but around the world, people say they are spiritual but not religious, at least in, in the Western world. They're not interested in what would be called institutional religion. That would be like going to church or synagogue or something like that. But people will say that they value spirituality and that they are spiritual themselves. And this is why it's important for us to understand what spirituality and spiritualness actually is. Because a lot of people base that upon themselves and what they feel. In the city of Ephesus, it is the same thing where Paul writes this to. They were spiritual, but they were lost because they based their spirituality on their own wants and their own desires and not on what God had actually said or God who had called them to be. God calls them to be his image bearers in the world who are intimately connected to him. And so Paul's prayer is going to be for other people being the point that we should expect life-changing experiences as we understand the love and the joy of God. So I'm going to read to you Paul's entire prayer, and then we'll start to talk about it. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Now I'm going to read this out of what's called the English Standard Version. This is the version typically Element uses in the seat backs in front of you. Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen Amen. See, I mean, I do not pray that well. I mean, that, that, is, that is a great prayer. Now, if you read these same verses out of the NIV, it will use the words, I pray twi- twice, because it's giving you the idea behind it. When Paul says, I kneel before the Father, that's the idea. I am praying. He's kneeling. And if you think you look through this and you're like, okay, I get this, but I don't get this. What's happening here? Well, there's a theological understanding that should make you make a couple questions when you read this prayer, because there's something kind of perplexing. In verse 16, Paul prays, that Christ will dwell in our hearts in our inner being. But in Ephesians 2.22, Paul says Christ is already indwelling in our hearts. That through the Holy Spirit every person who becomes a Christian Christ is indwelling them. In uh, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3, he says, I'll pray you'll know the love of Christ. And yet there are plenty of places in the Bible that says we're not even Christians if we don't believe and trust in the sacrificial saving love of Christ. And then in verse 19, he prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Yet in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Christians are united to Christ by faith, are filled with the fullness of God. He will say the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And so, why does Paul pray that these Christians get something that he elsewhere says they already have? And I'm glad you asked the question, because that's the point of the message today. The, The answer is that it's one thing to believe in to, in your head, know the love of Christ, but it's another thing to experience the love of Christ deep in your inner being. And that's why this prayer from Paul is so important for every single one of us. That term, inner being, it means the center of your consciousness, your personality, your true identity. We could say it's what makes you who you are, our inner being. And so it's one thing, Paul says, to know the love of Christ up here. It's another thing to actually experience it and live in it and have it be 
begin to change us. And that's why Paul prays this way. And this is a good thing for us to pray. And we can learn from this. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Uh, you could have a lot of money. And I know you don't because you're element. Uh, I get it. Uh, but you could have a, a lot of money. And have it in your bank account. It's yours. You earned it. You, you made it rain. Whatever that is. And then one night you want to go out on the town. Again, Santa Maria. We don't know what that means. Got it. Uh, but say you're going to go out on the town. But you forgot your credit card, your ATM card, your cell phone. So you're out on the town and all the banks are closed and you can't get to that thing that's actually yours. That's that money that's there. Uh, a few years ago, my wife, she still does, she, she wanted to go to Rome. And she even has an email address that kind of references that. But anyway, so to about 10 years ago, we went to Paris and Rome. And I thought, when I get there, I don't need to bring a whole lot of money. I could just go to the bank. And so we end up if you've ever been there, you know why you're laughing at this point. So I figure I just go to the bank. So we get, I have a Chase account. You know, Chase banks are, are everywhere. I, I could do that. So we get there, and it is not the same. I finally find a bank. I walk in, and they're like, what are you doing here? They're all, it's all corporate. You, there's no tellers. It's not, you can't walk in and go, I need some money out of my account. It's not how it works. I had money, but I couldn't get to it. And I was worried I was going to starve. You can have all of this stuff that's there but it's not actually accessible to you. So your night out on Santa Maria or, or in Paris, it's not practically yours and it can't affect the way you live, except to freak you out because you can't get to it. Paul is praying for Christians to go get what they already have what is actually ours, to actually live in the gospel, to live in the salvation we say that we know we have, not just know it's there, but actually live in it. And since he's writing to all of these Christians in Ephesus and praying for them, I think this is what he sees as the ordinary situation of most people who call themselves Christians. We are not affected by what we know to be true and what is really true of us in Christ. We're not shaped by it. Everything else shapes us. Our culture, our, our emotions, everything shapes us other than who Christ is. We say we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, but it's not making a difference in us. And this is why Paul prays this way. And this is why we pray this way. Because we want to grow closer to God, closer to this understanding. Uh, years ago, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a, he's a pastor in Britain, and he would counsel Christians. And when they were anxious and secure, when they're unhappy, and he would ask them this question. He would say, are you really a Christian? And after they got over being offended by the question, he said most people would come down to one or two answers. They'd say a lot of things, but it really comes down to one or two answers. And those answers would help him to understand if they truly understood the gospel of Jesus rescuing us. So some people would say, well, I'm trying. And again, they'd say a lot of stuff, but it really comes down to I'm trying. And so when people said I'm trying, he would respond with, well, you really don't understand the first principle of the gospel, what it means to be a Christian. And so he'd explain it. A Christian is somebody who is not saved by his or her works or performance before God or other people or ourselves. It's not trying. A Christian is someone who is saved because of what Jesus has done. And so being a Christian is a position. And this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about praying in the Spirit. What the Spirit brings is an understanding of our status, our position before God first. We either have it or we don't. We are not saved through trying. And so some people would say, oh yeah, I knew that. And other people would say, I never heard that before. So he'd be able to talk to them about the gospel. Now other people would say this, Christ has redeemed me and made me righteous. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
Now, that is the correct answer. People would say a whole bunch of words, you know, but that's essentially what they would say. And then he could, like Paul, help them. He would have that person move that head knowledge down into their whole life. Uh, he would call it making it spiritually operative. Spiritually operative. When the love of Christ is not in our inner being, it is not truly affecting us in how we live. The implications of being loved and accepted in the sight of the Father by the work of the Son many times does not shape our lives or our emotions correctly because it's not in our inner being. It's just religion. It's just out here. But that's a normal situation most people live in, and that's why Paul is praying for everybody this way. All right, so I'm going to give you three things that Paul prayers, his prayer shows us what we actually need. Three things in this. First thing, he starts off like this. He says, I kneel before the Father. This is an interesting thing to say. Because if you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, usually people would pray standing up. I know, you're like, really? Yes, they'd pray standing up. Mark 11:25, Jesus says, And when you stand praying, and you remember you have something against someone, somebody forgive them. That doesn't mean if you're kneeling and praying and you think of it, you don't have to take care of it. It's just how people all right, normally pray. So people did bow their knee in prayer, but it was typically only when it had intense emotion behind it. So Paul prays for these people in lots of ways because there's all kinds of things happening in their life. There's sickness and disease and warfare. Uh, They're in danger from the Romans as this oppressive government who wanted to get rid of them. They're in danger of starvation. But the one thing that Paul says he actually kneels for in intense emotion is this one thing they actually need, that we would know the love of Christ in our inner being. My friend Pam, she has this daughter, her name is Jenna. Jenna's an adult now, but when Jenna was a little kid, and she got mad at you, she would say, what your problem is? What your problem is? Said it to her dad once. And her dad goes, what'd you say to me? And she goes, I didn't say what your problem is. I didn't say what you... And she goes, running off. But you know what Paul says? Paul says, you know what your problem is? You, your problem is, you think you know what your problem is. And you don't know what your problem is. You think your problem is, oh, it's my financial life or these physical issues or the relational issues. And I, if I just got those under control, well, I'd be okay. Paul says, you're wrong. You don't know what your problem is. The biggest need we have in our lives is connecting the truth of what we say we know to our inner being. That's what Paul says. See, you may be a Christian and you may believe all the right things, but it hasn't moved into the core of who you are. So what do we do? Paul says we kneel and we ask. God to do these things. Now, you can kind of look at He-Man's prayer a couple weeks ago when we looked at his prayer. If you missed it, you can listen to it online. But the idea behind He-Man's prayer is that you can go and do all the right things you can think of in your life and still experience times of personal dryness and darkness. Times where God just feels so distant, so far away, so absent. And then we have to decide in those moments, are we going to be faithful? Will we persevere in those moments? And why do those moments happen? Well, the truth is, there are some things in our life and in our spiritual growth that just would not happen otherwise. Tim Keller writes this, It's only in those times when God feels totally absent that you'll learn certain things about your heart. And that is so true. And he says you wouldn't understand these otherwise. There are times God leads us into places and experiences and long periods of his absence. Not that he is absent, but it just feels that way to us. And Paul, when he prays this, he knows there's going to be times of great joy. And we love great joy. But there's also going to be times of sorrow and persecution when God's presence just seems so far away, when you feel like he is absent. And Paul says in both of those times that we pray we may be filled with the fullness of God. 
And the fullness of God understanding it really only takes place when we go through both joy and sorrow. Both of those things. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about Mother Teresa. If you, if you were here, you're going to remember this a little bit. But I told you when Mother Teresa died, they found these journals that she had written about feeling the absence of the presence of God. And some people, Teresa included, were really afraid that if other people read her journals, it would make them stumble in their faith. But what happened instead was it had the opposite effect because people became encouraged because Teresa remained steadfast even when she felt God was absent in her life. Now, why does she live that way? Again, I'm not saying she was perfect. I know with Saint Mother Teresa, I, I know, don't get mad at me, but she was also not known to be a nice woman sometimes when you got when you crossed her path. She wasn't perfect, but before she goes into the mission field, she had a strong feeling of God's presence. So strong that she said she would give him her entire life, meaning it went into her inner being. She had that experience so deep that years later, when she felt the absence of his presence, when she felt alone, she still knew she was not. And when she cried out in her journals, she cried out to God. She was writing these things to him. And I think God does produce moments in our lives where he moves so strongly and we're like, wow, there he is. I totally feel him. Because there are times that he moves us to silence so we would learn how to trust him in those places as well. Now, today, when you go to a lot of churches, a lot of churches tend to be all joy. It's all joy. Here's the five steps to joy. God wants to hashtag bless you. And some churches are all sorrow. Here's the dirge. We're going to sing more sad songs now. And and, And that. But we have to understand, it's meant to be both. We need to trust God in everything that comes. And good churches should talk about the joy and the sorrow. The times when it feels like a California drought and the times where it feels like last night and we got some rain and it's filling up the lakes and we're really happy because we can go wake surfing next year. (laughs) Just me. All right. See, churches need to lead people to understand There's going to be joy, but also periods of dryness and darkness, so we don't ever fall prey to some nonsense of, oh, if you just confess your sins, this wouldn't be happening to you, but also understanding that we should confess our sins to one another and to God himself, because God will bring his presence. And so Paul is praying, and we should pray, that our spiritual direction is nuanced enough to understand and say, we're going to experience highs and lows, but that's okay, because God, we are going to trust and walk with you through all of them. Okay, the second thing that Paul's prayer shows us is what true life-changing spiritual experience results in. And the best way to look at this is he will give three petitions. So now I've got point two, but I've got three points under point two. You're welcome. Okay, so the first part is what we already talked about of these petitions. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, inner being is a synonym for heart, uh, the mind, the will, emotions, the whole person, the seat of who we are. That's the first part that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us and empower us to do what? Well, this is the second thing. Verse 18 is to comprehend and verse 19 says, and to know. If you have an NIV, we use the words to grasp and to know. It says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the the power that comes to our inner being is the power to step in and comprehend and to know the love of Christ. Do we pray for that? Most of the times we don't even think about that. But do you pray for that? Do you pray that for yourself, for other people? Do you pray that for other people at, at Element? Do all people who say they are Christians know the love of Christ in their inner being? And at this point you're going... 
Yes, no, I, I don't know. What, what, what do I say now? So here, here's an illustration. Almost every marriage, if, you know, if you're in that marriage long enough, at some point, one partner is going to typically think or say to the other, I know we're married, you say you love me, but I don't feel your love for me. I don't feel that love, something like that. Uh, I remember when my wife and I were married a few years, she actually said that to me, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what can I do? Because we typically want to give someone else love how we receive love. And so we're thinking, I'm loving you like this, and they don't feel anything because that's not how they receive love. We have to figure out how the other person receives love. So she gave me some things to do, and I started to do those things. And guys, I got to tell you, I am not easy to live with. You might think, oh, Aaron seems so godly. I'm not. Ask my wife. I am a horrible person to live with. But I do, probably about every six months, I'm like, how am I doing? What do I need to do? Is everything, anything else for me? Da, 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 da. And sometimes she's like, stop asking. <laughs> Just stop being a nut. <laughs> you know, that would really help me. That would be great. See, one of the things that Paul is saying here is that I'm praying that the Spirit empowers your inner being so you would comprehend God's love that is given to you in an experiential way. And I really always hesitate to use the word experience because there are some churches and people who just run after experience after experience after experience. This is not about experience. It's about seeing who Jesus is in our lives. But Paul says, I am praying you have a real encounter that your inner being understands in a way that you know that God actually loves you. Like, like Teresa, you know, moved to her inner being and it lasted a lifetime. There are a lot of times people will say something like, I'm just looking for something more, something more. Oh, I just need this. Well, you know what you're looking for something more of? God's love understood in your inner being. That's what we're looking for. I just, there has to be something more. That's what it is. And so do we pray for that and pray for that for one another. It's an inward experience where God's spirit becomes as real to us as another person. Even Jesus becomes even more so than another person. He's more important to us than anything. Financial success, professional achievement. And I want to help you understand this. Nobody has this all the time. Mother Teresa got it once, but it lasted her entire life as she remembered that moment. And it's real, and it's possible. I once heard someone talk about this, and they gave four historical examples. And I'm going to give those to you. The first one they talked about was Dwight Moody, Moody Bible College. Have you ever heard of that? Um, and he's a preacher in the 1800s. And he was praying every day, something more. God, I want more of you. And he says, one time, he's walking down the streets of New York City in 1850, and this is what he says. Suddenly, God came down in a way I've never forgotten. And I started to experience so much love being poured into my heart, I had to ask him to stop. It's like, God, just too much. <laughs> How crazy is that? But he said it was one time. But he remembers that. He remembers that one time. Goes on his inner being. And he lives the rest of his life remembering that moment when God did that. On the other hand, you have a guy named George Whitfield. And he says in his public journals that when he prayed really late at night, it was like every night he would experience the love of God poured into him in such great amounts that he couldn't get sleep. And he used to say to God, please stop. I have to get some rest. But for him, it was all the time. Uh, Blaise Pascal, 17th century uh, French philosopher, one of the great minds of history. When he died, they found sewed into the lining of his coat this diary entry of an experience that he had from midnight to 2 a.m. one night in 1654. And he says that he experienced the love of God as a fire. And after that, he never again doubted the reality of God or the assurance of his own salvation. And so he takes this diary entry and he sews it into the lining of his coat because he wanted it close to his heart because it changed his life forever. But it was one time. 
one time. Teresa of Avila, that's not Mother Teresa. Uh, Mother Teresa was named Agnes when she was born. When she became Mother Teresa, she took the name Teresa from Teresa of Avila. Anyway, Teresa of Avila lived in the 1500s. And she talks about this as well. It's, it's older language, so just listen to this. She says this, The consolation, the sweetness of the light was incomparably greater. My soul desired to cry out and was beside itself. It could not bear so much joy. See, it's the same experience in different centuries, different genders, uh, different spiritual traditions, like from Protestants and Catholics. It's different cultures, different generations, different temperaments. But God becomes real in a moment. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and I, I swear, I have never felt the presence of God like that day. But after that was over, I, to this day, I don't question God's goodness. I don't question who he is because I had this moment. It went into my inner being. And I'm not saying that means I always live great or rightly, but it went to a place where I remember who he is, and it changes me forever. God got a hold of me, and it's really kind of amazing. And the third thing that Paul says in this is that you may be filled with the fullness of God. All these things go together. The New Testament term fullness of God almost always means a pattern of our lives. The pattern of our lives. So Paul speaks of how it's not just an emotional experience. That experience is supposed to change how we actually live. Now, let me be honest with you. It's not like I never am or anything. Um, but sometimes that irritates people a lot. <laughs> be nicer. I'm trying. Okay. Uh, so let me be honest with you. Um, I'm gonna, I don't want to give you a complex or anything, but sometimes when people cry during or at the end of a service in the middle of, of something, many preachers are a bit jaded. I am no exception in that. Guys, it's always nice that God is working in you and doing great things. And it's, it can be gratifying. Please don't cry just to make me feel better. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but if you weep and are moved, and then you leave this place and your life doesn't change, it doesn't go into your inner being. It doesn't really mean anything. And i got to tell you, a lot of preachers aren't really surprised. We have people who will come to Element. And I think when we gather corporately as a people in a room together like this, and we sing songs, and someone preaches at us, and we take notes, and we take communion, God's Spirit really does begin to move. You can literally feel God move. And there are people who don't even believe who will feel God's Spirit move in a room. And we have people do this. They will run out the door. They'll go to the Welcome Center, and they'll buy a hat and get a sticker and grab a list of GCs. I'm going to do something every night of this week. It's, this is my church. And then we never see him again. Because it was emotion. It was emotion. It did not go into the inmost being. And that's what Paul says we pray for. We pray for that. That if you do have that experience, it goes into your inner being and changes every single one of us. You pray that for you. You pray that for other people. Pray it, pray it for me. We all need to do that. We ask God to change us in our inmost being. When we experience Christ truly in our inmost being, it changes the way we live, sometimes gradually, sometimes quickly, but it changes us permanently. Understanding the gospel, it has to be brought to the very center of our being. And I, I would tell you this, I think one of the biggest problems for a lot of Christians today is that the things we say we know are true, like we say we know this, we still have a hard time believing. And one of the biggest th ones is that salvation is a gift. It is not based on our works. It is not based on how good we clean ourselves up. It is based upon the work that Christ did for us. Hudson Taylor was a 19th century missionary to China. When they died, they found a bookmark in a Bible, and this is what he prayed every day. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. 
every single day. Because when we focus on Jesus, not us, there's a sense of God moving. And if I go back to what I said earlier about those times of dryness and the times of darkness and God's absence, do you know that sometimes in that God's absence can actually be a sign of his presence when we long for the presence of God? God is creating that in us to some degree. If you want to be with God, I feel like there's something more. God is creating that desire in you to draw you to himself. So that's not a lack of the presence of, of God. That is actually God in your life drawing you to himself. And it's beautiful. And in the midst of all this, Paul will even use this word called grasp or comprehend. This word grasp and comprehend in the text, it's this really weird Greek word because it means to overtake someone and to wrestle them to the ground and essentially rob them. When it's used of a group of people, it means to sack and plunder a city. Element, I pray that you would grasp the love of Christ. What? We're going to plunder a city? Why does Paul use that word? Because as a people, we're meant to wrestle to the ground the truths and the doctrines and the texts that we listen to and we read. We, we want to mull over and talk about and reason and pray and apply the truth so the riches start to flow in our inmost being. And so we listen to God and meditate and we contemplate on his words and we pray that the texts become alive and move to our inner being, where we would say things like, if these things are true, why am I afraid? And if these things are true, why am I worried about this? And if these things are true, why am I anxious about these things? And if these things are true, why would I ever keep it to myself? Why wouldn't I want to tell everybody about this? It's a fusion of a heart and our mind as they come together. Okay, my actual real third point here is what we learned from Paul's prayer. And if you have the, the prayer booklets, this isn't in there. I didn't put this point there, but as I brought it together and I was putting the sermon together, here's the third point, okay? Uh, Paul's prayer shows life change happens communally. Communally. And I get this because a lot of people say, Aaron, you're always talking about community. I am because the Bible does. Paul says that we would comprehend with all the saints. How are we supposed to sack and plunder the city? With all the saints. That means it's not by yourself. When we study and live in community with others, it helps us to see new things. You know, we are even doing it a little bit right now. That's what we're, and this is one of the reasons we always try to connect you and give you questions. Even if you're not in the gospel community, talk to people about the questions that are in those prayer journals so we could sack and plunder the city of Christ's love together so it would go into our inner being. Paul doesn't just say, I want you just to know the love of God. What he says is, I want, he wants us to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth? What, what does it even mean? If you, well, In the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It's like, what does that even mean? Well, what it simply means is that before time was even time, God knew who we were and what we were going to do and how he deemed to rescue and save us. And then what happens is endless millennia go by before he comes. And when he does come, he is betrayed and deserted and rejected. And he is hung on a cross for our sins in our place, taking the judgment that we deserve from God upon himself. Charles Spurgeon once remarked in amazement that when Jesus was on the cross, he saw everybody denying him, betraying him, rejecting him, mocking him. In the greatest act of love in the history of the world, he stayed. He stayed. He could have come off the cross at any time. Think about this with you and maybe someone you're irritated about. You know, how I was like, I'm done with this relationship. I'm out. Jesus stayed. 
when everybody was mocking him in the midst of that, he stayed. The depth, the length, the height, the breadth of Jesus' love is proved on the cross. And this is why the cross is central to the Christian faith. Because you could read, God loves you a billion times. We say that at the end of every single service, almost, at Element every single week. But it doesn't move us until we see the depth of the love of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told, though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. We are not equal with God. And so Jesus becomes a servant in our place to come and die for our sins before a holy and righteous God. Here's a question for you. How would you like to become a slug? Slugs are disgusting and nasty little creatures, but that is the, the creator of the universe becoming a human. How about you becoming a slug? That's the gist of it. I mean, worse than that, what if people started stabbing you with toothpicks and dumping salt on you as that slug? Ah, uh, it wasn't just for torture, though. Jesus dies on a cross in our place because we had a debt to pay for our sins, and he pays for that himself. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the crushing weight of the ocean of God's infinite justice on our sin was laid on Christ for us. That is the length, the height, the depth, the breadth. One Christian writer, I think it was C.S. Lewis, said this, He can make the feeblest and filthy of us into such dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. That is beautiful. This is the love of Christ. And this process, it can be long, it can be painful sometimes, but we are really in for this God redeeming and saving us. The breadth and the length and the depth and the height of Christ's love is what we understand because of the cross. It is only in the gospel. And there's a lot of people who run around saying, this is what God's love is like. No, the cross is what God's love is like as he saves us. And Paul's prayer is we would see the gospel, and this is what we pray for as well, that it would go into our inner being. And I know, you're going to think, I will never pray a prayer that good. Okay, I think it's inspired by God, all right? <laughs> so, so you're okay. But it is an amazing prayer about the goodness and the grace of God and what he does in our inner being. Again, take it back to, to think about how Christ stays on the cross. When we run from different relationships that people irritate us or we're embarrassed or this and we run from that we don't stay we run he stays and because he stayed we should also be a people who live our lives in places of reconciliation and hope and redemption for one another because we want to love one another but how do we do that it only comes from the love of christ being in our inner being and this is one of the reasons every week we bring you guys to this place of communion. Because a communion is a reminder of the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of God's love for us. We remember at communion that he gave his life. That's why you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his great love given for us. In communion today, think about the height, the depth, the length the breadth of God's love given to you. Because when we do this, it's meant to be in remembrance of what he has done. And if you need prayer today, you know, right, right across the way in the lounge over there, there's going to be some people. You can go there during the music. Uh, you can go there after the, the service is, is over. Uh, if it's not just prayer, maybe you have some questions about what I'm talking about. They would love to also talk to you and answer questions you have and pray with you. If you're someone who wants someone to pray over you that you would know the love of Christ in your inner being, we would love to be able to do that for you today because our God is gracious and good. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God has given so much to us. 
So our generosity then is reflected in, in how we give as a people. And then I would, as I said, take that, the prayer journal and the questions in there and meet and talk to somebody this week about some of those questions of what it means for the love of Christ to really be in our being and how that results in change. Again, not that, oh, it's my inner being, now I'm perfect. And No, that, that's not how it works. But knowing the love of Christ in our, being, in our inner being changes how we live. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see others. And it changes how we live the focus of the gospel in our world. Let us be those people who want to and pray for the understanding of the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of Christ's love for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, I ask that you would teach us to stand in awe of your majesty and your goodness, that we would get a glimpse of how great you are, and that you took on the form of a servant to rescue and save us. There are a lot of people in this world today, God, who say that they understand the love of who you are, but if we do not have an understanding of the cross, we do not have an understanding of your great love for us. And so I ask that we would understand and see who we really are and who you really are and the depths that you went through to save us and bring us to yourself. And as we begin to understand that, that that would change us deep in our inner being, and that it wouldn't result in an emotion. It wouldn't result in stoicism. It wouldn't result in us trying harder. But it would result in us stepping into a life that you have so richly provided for us. I ask that today you would teach us to know your love in our inner being. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Amen. As the curtains drop, I want to do two things. And this might feel a little uncomfortable for you. (laughs) If you have never had that experience of the love of Christ in your inner being, I think you should start to pray for that now. And if you have had that experience of the love of Christ in your inner being, where God made himself just so real, take a couple moments and reflect upon that and what that looked like. Again, I'm not pushing you for an emotional experience because Paul says that emotion of what God does is meant to drive us to the place where we start to live in the fullness of God. It's not an emotion we seek after. It's the fullness of God as he changes our lives. But Paul does pray, and so it's valid for us to pray, that if you have never experienced the love of Christ in a profound way, that he just comes and is so real, it is okay to pray for that. And I would encourage you to do that today. And then pray for others around you to understand and experience that, that it would go into our inner being, and then that you would come and take communion as we remember the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of Christ's love for us, that we sing a couple songs, that we'd step out into this world, in ways that live differently because we actually are changed. And again, that life change can be slow. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow. But it's permanent because we want to glorify Christ with every bit of our lives.